BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Sports Illustrated's NBA show. Breaking down the latest news, rumors, and everything in between. Here's your host, Chris Mannix and Rohan Lodkrady. All right. Wild week in the NBA. Wild week. So Rohan and I recorded our podcast on early Tuesday afternoon, East Coast time. And just after we finished recording... It was announced that the Milwaukee Bucks had fired Adrian Griffin as its head coach. So I'm just going to weigh in on that before we get to the meat of the podcast, which includes an interview with Colin Sexton of the Utah Jazz. So you want to stick around for the entirety of this week's pod. But the news that Milwaukee had fired Adrian Griffin is both surprising and unsurprising at the exact same time. It's surprising because... Well, just look at the standings. Milwaukee is 30-13. and They're the number two team in the Eastern Conference. They're coming off two straight wins. They've won, what, five of the last six. Uh, Very recently, they had a beatdown of the Boston Celtics. That was a game they won at home. So you look at a team with that kind of record, and you wonder why they would fire their head coach why why does that make sense why would they put themselves through this type of turmoil halfway through this NBA season but if you take a deeper look at it and you ask people involved with the organization people that are around the organization you start to get a better understanding of why um for starters I, I I'm of the belief and I've been told that 
key veterans on that team, including Giannis Antetokounmpo, had become disillusioned is a word I would use. Had lost faith is a phrase I would use with Adrian Griffin and his ability to coach this team at the highest level. Now, some of that shouldn't be surprising. You've seen some public comments made by several players, you know, within the organization. And look, Giannis himself has been vocal about this team to needing to improve dramatically after some tough losses, uh, particularly in the defensive end. And we're going to get to that. But from what I understand, uh, several veterans had lost some confidence there. And look, it, it was always going to be a work in progress with Adrian Griffin, who it should be noted is a really, really smart basketball guy. Uh, NBA veteran, longtime assistant, earned this opportunity and then some. Uh, but there was always going to be a learning curve with a coach like that, especially when you're taking over a championship team. And that learning curve has been wavy, <laughs> to say the least, really ever since Adrian Griffin took over. And it began in the preseason when Terry Stotts uh, abruptly quit uh, over issues working alongside Adrian Griffin. There were uh, shifts defensively with the way this team played. Adrian Griffin came to the Bucks with a defensive philosophy that more closely mirrored what we saw Nick Nurse do. Adrian Griffin, of course, a former assistant to Nick Nurse, what they saw him do. In uh, Toronto, the Bucks didn't really have that kind of personnel and didn't really want to play that kind of defense. So there were shifts that way during the season. And defensively overall, this team has been bad. That's that's the only word you can use to describe a team that is bottom third in the NBA in defensive efficiency. Now, in fairness, they were always going to be a lesser defensive team this year than they were the last few years. When you make a trade like the Bucks did, where they shipped out Drew Holiday and brought in Damian Lillard, you are trading defense for offense. Drew Holiday is one of the best defensive players in the league, versatile, guards multiple positions, gets stops on the perimeter. Damian Lillard is one of the best offensive guards in the league, makes big shots, takes a lot of pressure off of Giannis, but he is not anywhere close to the defensive player that Drew Holiday is. So they're always going to take a step back. But I think in the minds of the Bucks front office, they took too big a step back. And even though they had a big win over Boston, even though they've got a good record, I think that front office looked at this team and you know, perhaps on a micro level looked at how they were defending and thought, when we get to the postseason, we can't beat them. You know, the Celtics, when they played that game against the Bucks, they were coming off a really tough game against Minnesota at home just the night before. So there were some reasons for that. Um, not that it takes anything away from Milwaukee's win, but it, it was a different version than the, of the Celtics that I think the Bucks are expecting to get in the playoffs. I think they looked at that and said, we're not on that level. And the only thing that can get us closer to that level is making a coaching change. I think they believed that coaching was among the reasons that they had not played at the same level as a Boston or any of the top contending teams in the Western Conference. Because remember, this is a 
I mean, I don't want to call it championship or bust season because right now you've got Giannis and you've got Lillard under contract for multiple years, but the window was a tight one in Milwaukee. You know, you've got to win a title this year, next year, maybe the year after that to maximize the talent they have on that roster. Uh, So I think this was just a move the front office felt had to be made to put themselves in a position to win a championship. And look, for John Horst, it had to have been brutal to make a decision like this. You know, John Horst handpicked Adrian Griffin. There were some other candidates. Nick Nurse was a candidate. Kenny Atkinson was a candidate. This was John Horst's guy. Like, he picked him, and he believed in him. And really from jump, it it has not worked out in the way the Bucks had hoped it was going to work out. Now, Joe Prunty, as we record this, is the uh, interim coach. Joe Prunty is not going to be the head coach for the rest of the season. Doc Rivers is the name that everyone is talking about at least on Tuesday afternoon. And yeah, I I think there's a very good chance Doc Rivers becomes the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Look, Doc has talked about, you know, enjoying his time on TV, but Doc is a coach. I mean, look at his history. He went from Boston to the Clippers to the Sixers without missing a beat. This guy is a coaching lifer and I, I just don't see him passing on an opportunity to coach Giannis Lillard and Milwaukee. The question I have now, though, is can this team get it together in time to succeed at the highest level in the playoffs? Like, can they adapt to a Doc Rivers team, a Doc Rivers system to to function on the Boston level or the Philadelphia level? Or if you even get even further than that, the Denver, the Clippers, the upper-tier Western Conference team level. That's a lot to ask. I mean, Doc Rivers is going to come in there with his own system, offensive and defensive. And it's going to be really difficult for him to change things effectively on the fly. We all know practice time is limited in the NBA. Yeah, you get the all-star break to kind of work some things out, and I'm sure that will be useful. But it's difficult to make these kind of changes on the fly. I mean, I've seen some references to... Uh, 2000 and what was it, 16, when Ty Lue took over for David Blatt. But Ty Lue had been in that Cleveland pipeline for some time. There's familiarity with uh, Ty Lue uh, in in Cleveland. So I, I don't think those are, are parallel uh, sort of things, parallel situations to, to compare. Uh, so I think Doc coming in, and look, I think Doc's an excellent coach, um, I just think it's going to be really difficult for them to adjust his coaching style in time to compete with Boston and with Philadelphia and some of the upper tier teams in their own conference. I also don't know that Doc Rivers solves their defensive problems. Like they're not, you know, Damian Lillard is, you know, an average defender. Malik Beasley is maybe a little bit above average defender. Chris Middleton, you know, I don't know what he is now coming off that knee injury. He's probably average at best. Um, in the defensive side. So if you're not getting stops on the perimeter, you can't get stops on the perimeter, at least the same way you have in years past. I, I don't know how you're going to to succeed. I really don't. So, you know, I, I get it. I get where Milwaukee was coming from. I'm bitterly disappointed for Adrian Griffin, as I'm sure a lot of people in the NBA are, because he's a really good guy and he earned a head coaching opportunity. Uh, but... Uh, I, I get it. I get what they're trying to accomplish here. I just don't know if they're going to achieve that, at least not in this season. So 
We'll see what happens. John Horst scheduled to speak to the media on Wednesday afternoon. I'm sure he'll offer some answers to the questions that we were asking. We'll see how quickly negotiations wrap up with the next head coach, whether it's Doc Rivers or somebody else. We've seen Kenny Atkins' name refloated back out there, but I think it's got to be Doc Rivers. Um, so we'll see how this all kind of comes together, but it's 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 definitely a challenge that Milwaukee's going to have to overcome as they head into an important second half of the season and a really important playoffs for a team that is championship-driven this year, no doubt about that. So that's my take on the Bucks. Now, let me jump into my conversation with my colleague, Rohan Nardkarni. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. I'm Chris Mannix, joined, as always, by my colleague, Rohan Nadkarni. And Rohan, we have a guest on the show this week. Big week for the Crossover Pod. We've got a guest joining Colin Sexton, the young bull, Utah Jazz guard. He's going to join the program uh, for a few minutes. And I wrote about Sexton. his ass off. I know, man. I wrote about Sexton this week over at SI.com. He's having a really impressive season. Uh, Entered the starting lineup in early to mid-December, averaging better than 20 points per game, shooting better than 40% from three as a starter. And, you know, one of the things we got into is that he's really starting to remove or shed the label that he's an empty calories kind of guy. You know, because that was mm-hmm. always the perception of Colin Sexton that, hey, yeah, great numbers, but what do his teams do? It was Cleveland last year, a little bit in Utah. Well, the Jazz are winning. They won 15 in the last 21 as we record this pod. And Colin Sexton is a big reason why. So Colin's going to join the show, talk about uh, his second full year in Utah and kind of what this resurgence has meant to him. But before we get to that, there's... A lot of news in the NBA I want to talk about. And and the first, <laughs> first subject I never in a million years thought we would be discussing is a PED-related suspension for Cavaliers forward Tristan Thompson. Now, Tristan Thompson, of course, been around for a long time. Uh, he has been, you know, won championships or a championship with LeBron James in Cleveland. He was suspended for 25 games by the NBA for testing positive for, let's see, I'm, I'm going to try to get these banned substances right. Uh, Ibutamorin and SARM LGD-4033. Now, we're recording this very early in the process, but those do not sound like good drugs. And as I, I searched sort of the Twitter <laughs> Just say they don't sound like good drugs. As I'm searching, kind of the Twitter. I, I would love to get your list of good drugs uh, one day. I, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not yeah. that long, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, I just want to quote a tweet from Michael Grange, who's a reporter up for Sportsnet in Canada. And he says, per Google, which is always a great resource, uh, Tristan got nicked for HGH and steroid-like substances taken yes. in pill form and banned by WADA. And he adds, if you think... He thought he thought up this regiment all on his own, and he's the only pro athlete or action movie star following it. I have a bridge to sell you. So count Michael Grange among those skeptical that this was taken accidentally or ingested yes. accidentally. Um, and it does look, the NBA has not traditionally been infected by PEDs, at least not in the same way that 
other sports have, whether it's football, baseball, boxing. Um, the NBA has generally steered clear of of that. Uh, so I think it is notable that a player like Thompson, who's you know, like basically in the last year of his career, gets nicked for 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 this. Do you know Tristan Thompson, by the way, is like only 32 or something like that? Like you think he's like 41 the way his career is gone. He's a high schooler, he right? Has, when he came out yes. know, one year in college, Texas. But has but it's been is relatively very young. Uh it's a shocking suspension. I mean, just Tristan Thompson is like the content gift that keeps on giving for a variety of reasons on and off the basketball court. Uh you know, listen, it hasn't really mattered because shout out to the Cavs who are like red hot beating up on teams uh despite losing Evan Mobley and Darius Garland. People a lot of thought their people a lot of people thought their season would sink. Help that they played some bad teams but are on a heater right now. So this doesn't really matter, but it remains kind of incredible that the Cavs bought out Kevin Love last year and he's been like one of the best backup centers in the league. Um he couldn't crack their rotation last year. And now all of a sudden they were they were giving Tristan Thompson minutes. It, it's like a baffling series of events for them that they somehow went from Love to Thompson. And now this, you know, I don't expect it to have a huge impact on the Cavs. The NBA PED thing is interesting. I mean, there are some people who say that, you know, this is just like speculation or talk amongst people we hear sometimes that maybe the testing isn't as, you know, rigid that or rigorous yeah that, 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 that maybe they're not necessarily trying to catch people which if if that is indeed the case just makes it even kind of funnier that Tristan Thompson is getting popped for this um but yeah man it, it's uh I don't wish to make light of it but it is kind of funny if I'm being honest yeah I mean look again as you said it's it's the NBA's drug testing has been mocked in some corners as being insufficient. Um, so it, it, it is a surprise when you see athletes that are getting caught up in it, this in the way Tristan Thompson uh, has. So, I mean, I look, again, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. This story just broke uh, mm-hmm. hours earlier. So we don't know too much information beyond what the NBA has already put out, but these do sound like serious substances. They do Mm -hmm. sound like performance enhancing drugs. And at the very least, Tristan Thompson has got some splaining to do. If he's (laughs) going to be getting back into the NBA uh, at any point in time. So we'll, we'll talk, probably talk more about this next week as the story develops. We also had a trade on Tuesday before we recorded the podcast. And I know this is near and dear to your heart, Roland, because <laughs> you're like required to tweet like five times anytime a member of the Miami Heat is traded. And the Correct. Heat did move Kyle Lowry, trading him and a first-round draft pick to the Charlotte Hornets for Terry Rozier. I have been banging the drum for months, if not years, for somebody to take mm-hmm. Terry Rozier out of the purgatory <laughs> that is Charlotte. Because mm-hmm. Terry Rozier is a really good player. Not only that... He is a really good playoff player. You know, Terry Rozier, during that 2018 Celtics run, I had a bird's eye view of Terry Rozier, and he was awesome filling in. Filled in for Kyrie, Kyrie yes. He wasn't quite as good the next year, but that entire season was snake-bitten in Boston. Mm -hmm. But what I saw in the 2018 playoffs when Terry was a young guy uh, told me that this guy, and look, I've gotten to know him a little bit over the years. He's got some moxie to him. He's fearless Mm -hmm. in big moments. Hasn't had any big moments in Charlotte because, 
you know, by, you know, December of most years in Charlotte, they're basically playing for the lottery. But I think this is a great deal for Miami. I think they get an upgrade at the point guard position, a guy that can play multiple guard spots, guard multiple guard spots. I mean, he can play anywhere one through three, you know, mm-hmm. in in a team system, uh, can handle the ball, can play make a little bit, make threes. Uh, this is an upgrade for Miami, no question about it. And I, I think I love this deal a lot for the Heat. Yeah, so I'm going to grade this deal for SI. I'm going to give away my grades right here, right now. First of all, I think it's an A for Charlotte. These are the kinds of moves they need to be making right now. They're going to be a cap space team, take bad contracts, expiring deals, acquire first-round picks. I believe it's lottery protected in 2027 and unprotected in 28, according to Woj. Um, So solid deal for Charlotte. Good work. For the Heat, I have it as a B, and the only reason I don't love it is – They've been a little bit pick-strapped these last few years. You know, it hurt them trying to pursue Damian Lillard in the summer. And, you know, not to play galaxy brain three steps ahead, they've been a team linked to Donovan Mitchell. Does giving up a first now maybe hurt you in that pursuit? Um, And secondly, I like Rozier a lot. I'm a little dubious about his fit with Tyler Hero. The Heat kind of seem insistent on starting Tyler Hero and closing games with him. Um, in a way that I don't think they need to be as married to. And that's not because Tyler's been bad. I think that has more to do with his fit next to Jimmy and Bam and kind of how their offense works with the three of them on the floor. As for Rozier, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's been fantastic this season. I think he's at 24 points a game, shooting the lights out from three. You know, people have put his uh, stats side by side with Damian Lillard this year. I think he's scoring a little bit more efficiently than Dame this year, which is hilarious. I'm not equating them as players. Um, he he's is, at, look, just, just to, to emphasize that he's at about 46% from the field, which is not, you know, awesome, but that's, I think a career high for Terry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's shooting career high from the floor. He's 36% from three point range, which is a little bit below some of his career highs. He's been 40%, you mm-hmm. know, in the past. Uh, so that's not a, a, a ridiculous number, but he, yeah. look, he's consistent. He is a yes. consistent solid scoring guy will give you good numbers. And I think, look, one of the things that they loved in Boston about Terry Rozier was his work ethic. So when you Mm -hmm. talk about guys fitting into the heat culture, I think Mm -hmm. Terry Rozier is one of those guys. I think Jimmy Butler is going to love him. I think Bam Adebayo is going to love him. Look, they they love Kyle Lowry too. And that's not to Mm -hmm. dismiss what Kyle's done for that team. But Terry is a younger, bigger, uh, version, I think of Mm -hmm. Kyle. And I think they're going to be able to do more things with Terry in that backcourt than they could with Kyle at this point. Without a doubt. I mean, he's such an upgrade over Kyle Lowry at this point, who just aged too quickly with the Heat. I mean, he was a big reason for their deep playoff runs the last two years, but I mean, I'm he's giving them he took nothing. this long to age, yeah. frankly. Right. Like he's, he's right. what, 37 years old, almost yeah. 38. I mean, I, I actually and give Kyle a lot of credit for hanging yeah. on and playing yeah. at this level this long. For sure. But like over the last month, he's really not given the heat much offensively. I think Rozier gives them two things that they desperately need. Um, one is someone who can be a natural pick and roll partner for Bam Adebayo. I think right now the best option they probably have is Duncan Robinson, who's been great. But you need someone who can throw Bam lobs. And that comes because Terry Rozier can get into the paint. The heat are the team worst in the league at shooting within the restricted area, getting to the restricted area. It's not something they do well. They desperately need someone who can penetrate the paint. I think Terry will do that for them. That that makes Bam's life a lot easier. So I think that's going to be just a great pickup from them. And again, I mean, if they close games with something like Rozier, 
Bam, Jimmy. Then you have Hawkes, Kayla Martin, Haywood Highsmith, Hero as options to close around those three guys. That's a really solid closing lineup. And for a while now, the Heat, they just haven't made a move on the margins. They keep trying to wait for a star. And I've said this time and time again. They needed their version of the Derek White trade. Derek White wasn't an all-star consideration when the Celtics traded for him. People thought that they give up too much. Look at the ways he's affected that team. Now, I don't think Terry Rozier is as good as Derek White. Let me be clear. But the Heat desperately needed this type of infusion. I think Rozier is going to help them a lot. Um, Again, he's not necessarily the all-star home run swing people want from Miami, but they had to do something to bring themselves closer to Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee, and I think this does that. Yeah, Miami is a team that is all about the playoffs, right? Regardless of where they finish in the regular season, they are a team built for the playoffs because they have Jimmy Butler, great playoff performer. Bam Adebayo, really good playoff performer. Uh, They've got guys that have had success in years past. And I go back to that 2017-18 postseason that Rozier had in Boston. I'm going to read you some of the numbers. 19 games he played in those playoffs. Averaged 37 minutes per game. He shot 35% from three, 40% from the floor, averaged 16.5 points per game, 5.7 assists, came up with 1.3 steals as well. He was a big-time player. He did that mm-hmm. on a team with other offensive options, guys like Tatum and Brown who were younger, more raw, but still really good uh, offensive players. Uh, so Al Horford on that group uh, as well. So this is to me is just another guy that is going to be playing his best when the lights are the brightest. And I promise mm-hmm. you, Terry Rozier has been thirsty for this kind of opportunity to be on a team competing for something. Being on Charlotte, while he was well compensated in recent years, um, it had to have sucked the life out of him. You know, yeah. being in these situations over and over again. I think he's going to be revitalized. Yeah. Not even revitalized, he's playing well. Vitalized in Miami. And I think that's that's just a big pickup for them. I really like it. One, one thing I just want to add real quick. A surprising part about this trade is the Heat willing to take on Rozier's contract because there's a lot of talk about will they only trade Lowry for an expiring they're so close to the second apron how are they going to re-sign guys this summer I think it's a positive sign for an ownership group that since the big three frankly has made all kinds of maneuvers to duck the tax when possible etc um you know letting guys like Gabe Vincent and Max Struess go this summer to stay out of the second apron this move saves them money in the short term uh, that reduces their tax bill but I'm I'm Im- impressed and applaud them willing to take on uh, some longer-term salary in this deal. And maybe that bodes well for how, even, how willing they are to yeah, add salary Yeah, but I'm not even overly impressed by that because Terry's got a movable contract. Like he's yeah, only true, doing $25 true. million dollars per year over the next couple of years. And if Miami is looking to take a big swing, some team out there is going to be cool with that contract. you got a guy yeah. that can average 20. He's only making $25 million. I know we're in the yeah. age where it's like only $25 right. Million is right. I mean, worst case, you move him for another. You move him for another first. Worst case, yeah, and use you, that. You can do a lot. Another deal. Yeah. I, I I have been like I said to bring it full circle. I have been wondering for well over a year now when someone mm-hmm. was going to go get Terry Rozier. Miami's the team to do it. And I think they're going to benefit uh, greatly from it. Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio. And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. All right. The the lead topic I wanted to get into today was all-star voting, because on Thursday, the NBA is going to reveal the all-star starters. Uh, I was one of the media members, Rohan, that had kind of one of the official ballots that account for 25% of the voting. The players get 25% and the fans get 25% as well. So I kind of want to run down our respective all-star ballots. Um, And we don't have to get too deep into the obvious ones, Mm because... There are some obvious ones. Let's look at the Eastern Conference. The obvious ones to me, Joel Embiid, starter, Eastern (laughs) Conference, clearly. Uh, Giannis Tendekumpo, starter, Eastern Conference, clearly. Jason Tatum, starter, Eastern Conference, clearly. So the three front court guys in the Eastern Conference are obvious starters. They're high vote getters. They're going to wind up in that uh, starting lineup. In the backcourt, Tyrese Halliburton. Starter, Mm -hmm. obviously, having a fantastic year. The Pacers are good. He is proven he is a franchise player. The guard spot next to him was really, really difficult. And I weighed this all the way up until like 9.30 Eastern (laughs) on Saturday night when I got that text message from Mark Broussard of the NBA saying, hey, man, your ballot's due at 11.59. Just a reminder, that's the one I, I couldn't... I just couldn't confidently Mm. vote for. I just had so many mixed feelings and I went back and forth uh, on this ballot because you had, I think, three or four really qualified guys. You had uh, Damian Lillard in Milwaukee. You had Donovan Mitchell in Cleveland. You had Jalen Brunson in New York. You had Tyrese Maxey in Philadelphia. We can talk about some other guys. I think the aforementioned Derek White deserves some consideration as well, but you had you know four guys that you could make strong arguments that deserved that starting spot. So the guy I gave it to though was Jalen Brunson. Yes, because okay. Jalen Brunson to me has been not only awesome all year long, but he has been awesome over the last ten to fifteen games when the Knicks have really needed him the most as it's been some transition in New York with new players, new, new people coming in. You look at the last few games last Saturday against Toronto, 
he scores 38 points. A game before that against Washington, 41 points. Before that, Houston, 30 points. Dallas, 30 points. A couple games before that, 33, 29, 31. He is putting up some outstanding numbers. He is contributing to winning in every possible way. His overall numbers, excellent as well. 26.5 points per game, 6.5 assists per game, shooting 47.5 for three, 42.7% from three-point range. So after much consideration, Jalen Brunson got my vote for the second guard spot. What do you think about that? So I think that's a great pick, and I think had had the NBA given me an official ballot, I probably would have done the same thing. Let me just make the case for Donovan Mitchell, though. Because, as I mentioned earlier, the Cavs, a great case. I mean, the Cavs, from the start of the season, the the biggest storyline about them has been, is Donovan Mitchell going to re-sign? Does Donovan Mitchell actually want to team up with Jalen Brunson in New York? You know, what's going on there? And Donovan Mitchell continues to produce despite all these trade rumors about him. Something I really respect is, I mean, up until his last year in Utah, frankly, and remember everyone talking about, will Utah blow it up? I feel like he's never let that affect his play. And same thing this year with the Cavs. After those injuries to Mobley and Garland, and it's like, this could this team go in the tank? I mean, they're playing Dean Wade, big minutes, uh, Okoro, Max Struess. I mean, these are solid role players, but but not the team they expected to have around him. Uh, he's got a higher scoring average uh, than Jalen Brunson. I think part of that is the way the Cavs play offense, a little bit faster, et cetera. But um, I think he's done an incredible job. And to stay this focused, to, to keep the team competitive, I think he deserves a lot of credit for it. But I... I don't even know how to describe it in like a statistical sense, but there's just a certain like swagger that Jalen Brunson has brought back to the Knicks. That's so mm-hmm. exciting and fun to watch that I do believe he deserves to be rewarded with that starting spot. Yeah. Probably the only separator that I found with Mitchell and Brunson is games played, right? Brunson's mm-hmm. played 41 games. Mitchell's played 32. Yeah. That's not a huge difference, but it's enough of a difference to lean one way on the all-star ballot. So that was what put Mitchell uh, Brunson over the top uh, over Mitchell. And Mitchell was my second choice for that. Uh, Due respect Mm -hmm. to Lillard, who's had a good, but not, not the Dame type year. Right. We're used to seeing same thing with Tyrese Maxey, really good player. Both those guys should be all-stars when they release the reserves. But uh, to me, it was between Brunson. It was between Mitchell and Brunson games played and really the tear he's been on over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. He picked the right time to get really hot and play really good basketball. I hate picking on this person because I think she was making a completely fair point that, you know, internet trolls got way too excited about and we we know why. But Becky Hammond, you know, ever since she made those it feels like ever since then Jill Brunson's been like, watch this, like the Usher meme. He's like uh he's just been on <laughs> such Becky a Hammond, tear. by the way, maybe maybe not built for TV if you're gonna overreact to, you know, people getting angry about a take. Like she's not necessarily wrong. Like I'm she I'm I don't not think she was wrong that, at all. Yeah. No, I'm not convinced the Knicks can win a championship if Jalen Brunson is your number one guy. That's a reasonable argument yes. to make. And I think Becky got meta gotten spooked a little bit by Kendrick Perkins reacting the way they yeah, did think, on the set. And then I, you know you're not used to that kind of backlash. If you're Becky she, Hammond, you've gotten a lot of positivity yeah. in your time she, as an NBA assistant, a WNBA coach. Yeah. I think she's her problem is she's too rational for the internet. Whereas like someone like Perkins or Skip Bayless is like they know the the game. Yeah, exactly. She's like, no, no, no. I'm I'm a rational person, and don't try to explain yourself to these people. No. <laughs> you know, she Just, reads her mentions. She yeah, reads her they mentions. want they want slop. You know, <laughs> don't don't try to rationalize yourself to these psychos. You know, we're gonna find out on Thursday how 
what the starting lineups will look like. And I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, clobber Knicks fans a little bit, especially my good friend, <laughs> Jerry Ferrara uh, from Entourage Power. Great actor, great guy, huge Knicks fan. But we have been having this lengthy social media and what spilled over to text message battle about you know, Knicks fans not voting enough for Jalen Brunson, because I think Jalen Brunson is going to get a lot of the media vote for all-star starter. I saw my good buddy, Tim Bontemps on his podcast said he voted for Brunson. I think there's a lot of people that are going to wind up voting for Brunson. I also think Brunson's got a lot of respect amongst his peers and for sure. will get a lot of those players votes. The votes he has not been getting are from the fans at last count and the NBA's last released vote count, Jalen Brunson was well behind, you know, some of the top guys in the voting, including Trey Young, who's been, you know, good, but he's on a really crappy team. Um, Brunson, I think, is in, was in sixth place at the last reveal behind Tyrese Maxey and Lillard and, and the other guards in that mix. Now, the argument that, you know, Jerry and others have made to me is that, oh, it's a popularity contest, it's global, it's yada, yada, yada. Nonsense. It is a popularity contest, but you are the New York Knicks, all right? You are one of the biggest and most rabid fan bases in the NBA. You should not, your guy, your number one option should not be losing the fan vote to Tyrese Maxey. I'm sorry, they should not. He should not be losing the fan vote, vote this bad to Trey Young. I get it. Trey Young. The kids love Trey Young. Don't yeah. want to shoot like that. But you are the New York Knicks. You are in a city of what, like eight, nine million people, whatever the number is today. Half of them at least are New York Knicks fans. Galvanize your people, Jerry Ferrara. Galvanize your troops and get them to vote. Now, it's too late now. But yeah. if the all-star ballot, Rohan, comes out on Thursday and Jalen Brunson is not a starter, I've got a sneaky feeling it's going to be strictly because the fans did not get behind him. And that's going to be the fault of New York Knicks fans. Yes. You should have gotten behind your guy. Don't tell me that there's not enough of you that could have voted for Jalen Brunson to start the All-Star game. We're not talking about 10 million votes here. Like, Jalen Brunson had like 500,000-plus votes. I think Trey Young had 1.6 million or something-plus votes. Like, it's the difference of like a million votes. You can get your people together. You can vote. You can push them into the All-Star game. And like, the idea that it doesn't matter, trust me, I think it matters to Jalen Brunson. I think Jalen Brunson <laughs> wants to be the All-Star starter for the Eastern Conference. And if he's not... I'm looking forward to seeing the breakdown to see if it is strictly because yeah. he didn't get enough fan votes. First of all, I love you going like Jimmy Johnson, NFL halftime style, straight to camera, calling out Jerry Ferrara. I, I, first, I could not agree. The Knicks won like one regular season opening night game against the Celtics last year. And for the next six months, like we had to hear bing bong like every time. Anything happened in New York? It's like their ability to go viral and come up with campaigns. It's like so in many fact, of very them. I lived in yes. New York for ten years. They're they're, yeah. they're crazy, rabid fans, and I love that about them. Yes. but none of them seem to be voting. None yes. of them seem to care about the All Star ballot. I take it back. Let me. I got the the last voting numbers. Let's look at the previous one. 
Uh, Jalen Brunson, sixth place. He trailed Tyrese Maxey, Donovan Mitchell, Damian Lillard, and Trey Young. I know, there's a huge fan base for Tyrese Maxey. They're supporting him. Like, yeah, the, the social media viral campaign <laughs> to get Tyrese Maxey in the All-Star game. He was less than 700,000 votes behind Trey Young for that number two spot. Tyrese Halliburton, far and away the leader, deservedly mm-hmm. so, having a phenomenal year. But Nick Jalen Brunson being 700,000 votes behind Trey Young and 600,000 votes behind Donovan, behind Damian Lillard and 300,000 votes behind Donovan Mitchell. That's on you, Knicks fans. Where are you? Like, they have, like, these nights in the NBA where three votes count for one. You can't put together a campaign to get this guy at the top of the ballot. Don't tell me that. Knicks fans are, their reach is far and wide. They, they should have been voting for Jalen Brunson for All-Star. Could not agree more. In an election year, nonetheless, be better, Knicks fans. Be better. All right, so finally, I want to talk about the Dallas Mavericks because uh, I watched the Mavericks-Celtics game last night, which had to have been a disappointing loss for for Dallas. Mm -hmm. They were at home. They had not played since this past Wednesday. The Celtics were coming off a back-to-back. They were playing the third game in four nights. They were playing without Kristaps Porzingis. So this was a game that was ripe for Dallas to win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a gettable game. For the Dallas Mavericks. They go out and largely laid an egg. They made a run in the fourth quarter. Luka Doncic made some shots. Uh, but, you know, they were getting beaten pillar to post for most of that game. Um, I, I just watched the, the Mavericks play. And, you know, when you have a star the caliber of Luka and you have a second star the caliber of Kyrie, you, you know, your focus is championship, right? Like, you, you want to be in contention to win the whole thing not just be a playoff team but to be a team that can win everything um i don't see that with dallas and i i point the finger in part at luka Doncic, who was so bad defensively in that game like so bad like bad bad was actually the best he was in that game because at times he was indifferent you know he was doing that whole thing where a guy goes by when he reaches around trying to get a steal that way, which is the laziest possible defense. And I'm watching this team play and as ridiculously fun offensively as they can be with Luka and Kyrie doing Luka and Kyrie things. If their superstar can't defend at even an average level, what can that team be? I, I you know, and, and I know that they've been a little bit better defensively this year than they've been in years past. They entered that game 18th in defensive efficiency. And I know that Luka's been a little bit better, you know, defensively this year, I think, overall, than he's been in years past. But that was a marquee moment, right? Against a team that, the caliber of which, you're going to have to beat to make a deep playoff run. And, look, I don't care what the final stat line said. You know, Luka had a triple-double. He had, what, 18 rebounds in that game, or 18 assists, I forget what it was. But he had a, a monster statistical game. He was outplayed in that game by Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown played better than Luka in that game. And Jalen Brown, from the opening tip, was taking the game, or taking the play to Luka Doncic. He was going yeah. at him dropped physically. Him. Dropped you know, him. Oh, dropped him. Which, by the way, the Mavs ran on their Jumbotron, which is for reasons, as a replay, reasons unbeknownst to me. They usually don't do that uh, yeah. when it's a bad play for the home team. Um, I, I just found myself thinking, like, can this team win anything when your superstar is like an ambivalent defender. Um, am I overreacting to that? I know, look, it's one game, but like this Mavs team, they're not a championship contender. At best, they're a second round team. And that's at best. 
uh, as marvelous as Luka is offensively, his defensive deficiencies, I think, are always going to make the teams he play on, Mavericks or otherwise, vulnerable. Uh, what do you think? No, I mean, I think this is de- this was definitely a measuring stick game for them, right? You wanted to see them come out and uh, compete against a team of the Celtics caliber. And, you know, I, I, I hear you on the Luka concerns, and I think part of them is like, listen, uh, he's also can be so destructive in a playoffs that if we just put enough defenders around him, maybe we have a chance. I mean, obviously, that year they made the conference finals. They had a better defense. I mean, I, I was there that game seven against the Suns, and I've, I've never seen a player. Like, the second he hit his second step back three, everyone in the arena knew it was over, like, immediately. Um, to me, the bigger issue they have is, you know, Maxi Kleber's finally back from injury. He's someone that they really need. Like, they need the version of him that they had when they made the conference finals because he's a switchable defender. He can space the floor. It was really important for them. You know, something that's really hurt them, it's like Drew Powell didn't play in that game or Dwight Powell didn't play in that game against, shout out to Drew Powell, by the way, um, first ever guest on Crossover TV. Dwight Powell didn't play that game uh, against the Celtics. You know, they're putting so much on Derek Lively's plate. Grant Williams, who I thought was a home run signing for them, Chris. Me someone too. who could guard multiple positions, hit the three. I mean, he's clearly kind of falling out of favor. He plays only 18 minutes against his former team, not in the starting What can lineup. they do? I mean, like, you know, when yeah. he's... He, he is not making shots this year. He's been around 35% from three, about low 40s from the field. Yeah. He has not been the defensive stopper, versatile defensive yeah, guy that they hoped he was going to be. He has, he has not lived up anywhere close to yeah. the expectation. They I mean, you're you're hearing rumors that they might be looking to move off of him even though they just signed him. And it's, I mean, good luck. Ex- good, good luck yeah, with that. Like, truly. I mean, you think about it like Derek Jones Jr. And I'm a big fan of Derek Jones Jr., um, has been essential for them this year. But, I, I mean, how far can you kind of get away with him being your most important perimeter defender and kind of the offensive issues he has in your lineup? You know, I think unless, like, you know, when I was envisioning them before the year, it's like, okay, they can play Kleber, Grant, Kyrie, and Luka together. You know, figure out your fifth guy. Maybe you have enough defense there. It just hasn't been the case, and I think that's what's hurting them right now kind of more than anything else. I mean, they played only eight guys in that Celtics game. I mean, Jason Kidd, I think, is kind of a unique coach to begin with, but it just doesn't look like he trusts enough guys on this team. And uh, I can't blame you know, so, him. Yeah, and I, I don't. I don't, and it's just the Grant thing not working out. I mean, maybe Kleber, who's missed so much of this year, can kind of come back and round into shape, and that helps them, but to me it's like, because Luca and Kyrie put you in such a bind, they have to nail those role player decisions. And right now, it's not working out for them. I mean, they were one of those teams, you know, before Rudy Gobert and Minnesota got their act together. Right. Shout out, by the way, to Carl Towns for having 62 and a loss to Charlotte. That was <laughs> remarkable, remarkable to watch that unfold in real time. Um, before the Gobert thing came together, they were a logical landing spot for mm-hmm. Rudy because. If you're going to have two guys at on the perimeter in Kyrie and Luca that don't defend, you, you need somebody backstopping them. You need some, you know, need a real defensive rim protector, and that would have made some sense um, in uh, in Dallas without him. You know, and look, I want to say this about Kyrie. Kyrie has been great for that team. He, he has had, in, he in has. the locker room. You talk to people in Dallas in the locker room from the day they acquired him to today. He has been great. 
a, a, a leader uh, with that team, great with the young guys, great with the veterans, has worked his ass off to fit in opposite Luka, which is not the easiest thing in the world because the guy is a high usage rate player who takes a lot of shots. Um, he has worked hard to fit into that role. So he's not the problem with this team. The problem is, how can you win a championship when your two best players are that bad defensively? And look, I, I think Kyrie tries, but he's, you know, there, there's just physical limitations that he has on the defensive end. I think Luca half the time doesn't try. Honestly, he, I, I watch him and it just doesn't look like he's trying out there. And he spends so much time complaining to the officials, like just constantly complaining to the officials about things that he's wrong about like yeah, he's wrong like he, he committed some foul in the first quarter on monday night and he's immediately waving at the bench you see the replay it's like dude you fouled him like it's 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 clear as day that you fouled him he spends so much energy going at the officials when the reality is he is not a good defensive player and Kyrie yeah, is not a good defensive player and i don't know how you win a championship in today's nba with both of your stars being below average defensive players yeah and that's the double-edged sword with a luka type who I think is going to be rightfully finished top five in MVP voting this year. And when he is clicking offensively, there's just no one like him to watch. But I mean, we saw it with James Harden, those Houston years when you're, when you are such a heliocentric offensive player, when everything is revolving around you, even with getting Kyrie, the usage being so high, you just, uh, you find other ways in your game to conserve energy. And I, I think that they have to find, a better balance between letting Luca be Luca and what makes him special offensively and making sure that he still has enough to compete on that end of the floor. Because right now I, I just don't think the balance is there. You know, you, you, t- you do the MVP rankings over at SI.com mm-hmm. and you talk about Luca being a top five MVP candidate. I, I'd almost push back on that because it's, I know the I, offensive, I yeah. look, the, the offensive numbers are ridiculous, but like, you know, if you look at the numbers, like look at last night's game, um, 33 points, Took him thirty shots to get there. That's that's not yeah. that's not yeah. good, right? Um, and, and you look at the MVP, the top tier MVP guys. Joel Embiid put up seventy on Monday, ridiculous number. But he's also one of the better defensive players yeah. in the NBA. Nikola Jokic, even though his defense has been pilloried, he's not as bad as Mm-mm. some people suggest. He's a pretty good team I mean, we defender. Saw, we saw it in the playoffs. Yeah. It's not he's, as easy as scoring as you think. He's not. Yeah. Embiid or Gobert, but he's not, you know, this turnstile yeah. out there. He's a pretty, he's a average to above average uh, defensive player. Go down the list. Uh, Shea Gildas Alexander, yeah. two-way player. Giannis, two-way player. Yeah. Uh, even further down, Tatum, Jason Tatum, Tatum. Becoming, yeah. becoming a much better two-way player. I would put Kawhi Leonard high on that list because Kawhi's yeah, having a fair. magnificent offensive year, and we know what this guy does defensively. Luka Doncic is an unbelievable offensive player, and can be an unbelievably bad defensive player. And I don't know yeah. how you, you can you can consider him for an MVP vote with, with that being the case. I think that's a fair argument. It's going to be the argument against him anytime he's in these conversations. By the way, Kevin Durant, uh, in his prime, it's still yeah. still still two-way player. Like these guys that are winning MVPs Listen, that they, are in the mix, two-way players. And the, and they've called on KD to carry a load defensively this year. He's guarding a, he's guarding LeBron when they play the Lakers. He's playing center. Um, you know, all the guys you mentioned, even if they're not necessarily locked down every night, you can give them responsibility on that end of the floor on a night-to-night basis, and they welcome it. And I think that's a knock against Luka. I mean, we don't have to get two in the weeds. I still think his, his production is just so absurd that it's hard to leave him out. And I do think 
overall, I feel like the Mavericks have overachieved a little bit this year. I, I think they're ahead of where I thought they would be, considering all their issues, and even more ahead considering how guys like Grant haven't worked out, Cleaver's been out of the lineup, but I think big picture, you're right. How how much longer can they go on with this? Because, I mean, listen, I was one of the people who was like, are you really going to commit to Kyrie as the second guy here? And that's worked out. That part's been good. So if you, you have to find a way to get a more balanced effort from Luka uh, moving forward. I don't know how you do that with, with yeah. Luka and with Kyrie. I, I just don't yeah. know how you get stops when your two best players can be attacked in the way the teams are going to attack them in the postseason. And look, they're sitting right now in like that eight, nine spot. So they're a play in team at the moment. And, and look, looking at the teams that are um, in that play in mix, I just had it pulled up here, mm-hmm. but look at the teams that are in that play in mix. You're talking where's bottom half of the standings. You had the Lakers are a team that's in that mix. You know, you got to think they'll at some point get their defense together mm-hmm. enough to be uh more of a threat um sacramento now they're all offense no defense but utah playing great basketball yeah. right now yeah, yeah i they, they might have a hard time getting out of that plan and getting to the playoffs now that playing spot because of their some of their defensive deficiencies and let me just add real quick because think about the the nuggets for example it's like the big question about them can Jokic and murray hold up defensively in the playoffs we saw both of them step up when they really needed to give that two eight effort. You know, they, when the Nuggets played the Suns, it was like, how are they going to slow down Booker and Durant? Now they didn't necessarily slow them down, but they did enough defensively in that series. I mean, Jamal Murray did enough defensively in the NBA finals. So even for people who don't have Sterling reputations on that end of the floor, when it counted, they stepped up. You look at the duos that have gone far in the NBA playoffs. Yeah. The last few years, all those guys play both sides of the ball. Yeah, look at the great duos in the NBA today. Yeah, you know LeBron and AD. Uh, yeah, Tatum Brown, Tatum and Jimmy Brown. Bam. Like, yeah, yeah, these guys are two-way players. I just, mm-hmm. uh, I was really disheartened to watch about the Mavericks' mm-hmm. chances to do anything after watching them yeah. play a, a big, big game they should have been up for uh, against mm-hmm. the Celtics. All right, we'll be back here next week. But when we come back, my conversation with Jazz guard Colin Sexton. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, 
bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. I guess the first question I wanted to ask you, Collins, I mean, look, you, you had a good year last year statistically. What What are some of the biggest reasons in your mind, though, that your game has really taken off this season? Um, I would say just doing a little bit more diving into the film and doing a little bit more um, things on court as far as like my decision making and making sure I'm not overdoing it. But when I'm in there working on the things that I feel like I need to improve on or even just work on for that game, I feel like I watch so much film. I watch so many so many games that I've been able to, OK, if this team is in a deep drop, let me work on coming off the screen, um, shooting the three or if they're up to touch okay, let me try to snake it. Or even just like, okay, this team, they like to stay attached. Just reading the game a little bit more and understanding like what certain teams' tendencies are. What what pushed you to change the way that you looked at film this year? Uh, I would say just to continue to – I want to continue to improve. And at the end of the day, anything that like I can improve on my game, I, I want to. And I've been over the summer, even also like all last summer, and even when I was injured, I tried to like just – get 5% better each and every year of like, okay, let me learn a little bit more uh, schemes and understand the game a little bit more. So I just wanted to to go out here and just be better and be more prepared. I feel like when you prepare, you play a little bit better. Was there anything different about this past off season? Because you did have one full year in Utah, one full year of playing for Will Hardy. Were you able to attack the off season any differently? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like my offseason um, coming back, my uh, first season with the Utah Jazz was totally different. I was injured. I was rehabbing. I was um, pushing it uh, every day. And I was pretty much just trying to, like, get out there. And uh, I wanted to show people that I was back. And I felt like I didn't feel like myself, but I was able to push myself mentally to come back a lot faster than um, I was even supposed to. So that was one thing for me. And I used this this past summer to really work out and not have to to rehab as much and not have to worry about those things. I was really able to work out and work on my game. Yeah. Is there, is there a physical benefit for you being another year removed from that knee surgery? Uh, Absolutely. I would say just the confidence, Mm -hmm. Uh, confidence is everything. And, um, not worrying about pushing off or not trying to change your game just because you you're nervous or scared. I feel like that's something that like people have to get over that hump and know that like um, I'm good. And I feel like I did that last year, but even more this year, I'm just just continue to know like okay, I'm back to full swing. And at the end of the day, I, everyone in this building believes in me, so I just got to just continue to go out here and uh, play for them and play for my teammates. 
you know, you're you're playing really well. The team right now is playing really well, and and you're a big reason for that. Um, the, the narrative, as you well know, in previous years is Colin Sexton scores a lot of points, doesn't impact winning, at least not in a high-level way. How much did that perception bother you over the years? Uh, I would say it bothered me a little bit just because I, I consider myself as a winner. I had to win some type of form to even get to this to this place. Um, and um, being that people saying I'm not a winner and stuff, it just gives me a little bit more motivation, a little bit more chip on my shoulder just to go out here and uh, impact winning however it is. If it's diving on the floor, picking up full court or um, guarding the best player on the other team or scoring the ball, whatever is needed, I'm I'm going to do it just so I can show people that, like, when I'm out on the court, I try to impact winning as much as possible. And the little things that may not show up on the stat, sh- on the stat sheet, I'm going to do. So Will talked about that perception the other day, and I'm sure you've seen the clip by now, but for this audience, I want to play what he said about you uh, before a recent game. I needed to look in the mirror in the offseason and have a little bit of humility about mine and Colin's relationship and just try to take it at face value. I needed to take Colin at face value and just go, hey, whatever happened before he got to Utah is means nothing to me. And how has he been with me every day? How has he been with our team every day? And he's always done everything that I've asked. He's never complained. He has never come to my office and asked for more playing time. He has never asked for more shots. He's never um, questioned what we were doing. He just continues to work every day. He takes coaching. He lets me coach him very hard. Um, You know, there have been moments in last season that were caught on camera where people see Colin and I getting into it. And... um, there's no anger behind that. That's us trying to solve problems and get on the same page and for him to understand what I'm asking him to do. And, you know, this off season for me was about kind of resetting myself as it relates to Colin. So he noted that he did allow that perception of you to kind of seep into how he viewed you last season. Is there any difference in the relationship you have with Will Hardy this season than there was last season? Um, I wouldn't call it too much of a difference. Uh, he, he, he gets on me a lot. Uh, I would say, uh, he screams, he yells at, uh, at me a whole lot, uh, during the game, uh, even after the game or even sometimes before the game, I'm like, coach, what I do, he'd be like, I'm just, I'm just on you today. Don't worry. I'm never going to change. So that's something that like I've, I've embraced. And that's something that like I need just because I want to get better. Like anytime a coach is, uh, screaming and yelling is for a good reason. That's because they believe in you. So that's something that like I I've always like believed in. If if the coach is yelling and getting on you, then uh, he wants best. But if once he stops screaming and yelling, then you should be worried. So that's how, exactly how like I view it, and that's exactly how I feel like Coach Will has been. So so you view it as a positive because I'm sure people might see an interaction on TV and say, oh, well, yeah. this relationship is is obviously, there has to be bad. You view that mm-hmm. kind of dynamic as a positive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like all my coaches have pushed me to be my best, and they're screaming and yelling. And at the end of the day, you might get screamed and yelled at, but you got to pick out the message from the screaming and yelling. Um, at the end of the day, the games are high Hi, we all competitors in this in this building. So when sometimes when you're competing and sometimes when you have that emotion, sometimes the voice is level. And at the end of the day, you can't 
okay, just because he's yelling at me doesn't mean like the message might be just get back on defense, but he might be screaming it in a way of like, you didn't did four or five bad plays. And that's just how I've like, I've always viewed it is like, just continue to pick out the message in it and know that it's coming from a good place. Will's talked about your decision-making improving this season. Like you've always been a guy that has been able to put pressure on the rim. Now you seem to be looking more and more to set guys up when you do that. The assist numbers are up this year from last year, especially when you look at the per 36 numbers. Um, has that been more of an emphasis for you, you know, looking for guys being a better decision maker? Absolutely. Every day we, uh, I've been coming in every day, just working on my decision making and reading through coaches or reading through like different scouts, like I said, just so that when I'm out there, it's like, it comes natural. Like, oh, if this guy pulls in, let me zip it to the corner. Or if this guy is over, maybe late, I can finish it. And just reading the game. Uh, if the game says shoot, shoot. If the game says pass, pass, and not overthinking it. You know, your, your starting numbers since you've been in that lineup, the numbers have exploded. They've gone up. You're up at 22, 23 points per game. Your three-point shooting percentage is way up. The assisted turnover percentage is better. How, how has be being a starter again, How has that helped you? Uh, I would say just the flow and just being able to go out there and just pick the game out, um, but also making sure like I set the tone um, for the rest of the game for my teammates that are, that's coming in. Just being able to set the tone and um, – and go out there and just be tough, um, show them the toughness and so that when we do get subbed out, okay, they're not just running past us, running like past, like doing whatever they want out there. And at the end of the day, I feel like um, that's all I can do is compete and just be tough and, and just show them like, okay, when I'm in the building and when I'm on the court, uh, I just want people to feel me. So The, the ball really moves in this jazz offense when uh, when it's at its best. And even looking at some of your made shots, your high 50s in your made shots that are assisted, I think your mid-90s in made threes that are assisted, um, nearly 90-plus percent of them have been assisted. H how much has that made your life easier, kind of the way the ball's moved in this offense? I would say um, the offense has been, it's been really good. It's been very beneficial because at the end of the day, not just for myself, but for everybody, it's kind of, it's a, it's a lot more fun to to just even touch the ball when you're going up and down. Sometimes it's hard to get a flow and get a rhythm and also want to compete on the defensive end if you're not just touching the ball. It doesn't matter if you're the one shooting it, but sometimes when you just want to touch it and uh, it gives you that much energy. And sometimes at the end of the day, people don't realize the the ball is what the energy is. And um, sometimes you might get an easy layup or this, the, the hockey assist is something that mm – -hmm. People don't see, okay, I might drive it hard to the nail and kick, kick for a three. Like, that is energy. That's what allows you just to want to play defense because I, I don't know too many people that want to just uh, just play defense um, <laughs> nowadays. You just want to play uh, defense. That's tough. You're, uh, you've been able to put up these numbers and only playing around 24 minutes a game. When you were in Cleveland, you were in the, the mid-30s. Um, as how do you feel about the minutes you're playing right now? Is it a good thing to keep you fresher, you know, and to, to be playing at this kind of level? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just feel like at the end of the day, we got so many guys on this team that can play that I don't have to go out there and play all the minutes. Me and Larry, though, JC, uh, Walker, um, like Keontae, we don't all have to play 
high, high minutes. And that's allowing us to to be fresher for when it is our time so that we can give it 110%. And that's also like what coach always talked. He like, you go as hard um, as you can when you're out there so that when you do come out, you're tired. And I feel like that's how we've all been playing. And um, you can tell when we're out there, we've been flying around. You're a, this team had success at the start of last season. Great success at the start of last season before tailing off a little bit. You're You're now having kind of like a similar run in the middle of this season. D- does this success you're having now feel sustainable to you guys? Do you think that maybe you're not going to win every game, but do you think you can play at this kind of level over months instead of just weeks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like we have the coaches behind us. We got the personnel and we got the organization like all behind us. So um, when we're out there, we're competing, not just for ourselves, but for the whole for the whole building and um, sometimes it, when you have people believing in you, then you can go achieve whatever. So that's how I like. Be, that's how I view it, and I feel like right now we're coming together. Um, just because sometimes we might lose doesn't mean we need to split apart. Sometimes that might make us a little bit more stronger, and I feel like that's what happened in the beginning of the season. All right, before I let you go, um, you, you may not even be eligible for sixth man because you're a starter now, and you'll you'll looks like you'll be a starter for the foreseeable future. But if you could win one individual award at the end of the year, would you choose most improved player or sixth man of the year? Um, Honestly, I would, I would choose whichever award is given to me, to be honest. <laughs> but um, just because at the end of the day, I put the time and I put the work in um, for whatever is given. I know I, I go out here each and every day and give it my all. Uh, I know coach can, you know what I mean? He can speak to that. I never complain. I go out here and do whatever is needed. So I just feel like whichever award that I will be given, um, that'll be a blessing and I'll be uh, thankful for it and I'll just continue to work. I think that'll be something that just will motivate me that much more. Well, Colin, congrats on the success, man. Team and and yourself. uh, Good luck to you on this road trip. And I do appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, 
how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. 